Chapter Seven of the Sea Wolf. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Sea Wolf by Jack London. Chapter Seven. At last, after three days of variable winds, we have caught the northeast trades. I came on deck after a good night's rest, in spite of my poor knee, to find the ghost foaming along, wing and wing, and every sail drawing except the jibs with a fresh breeze astern. Oh, the wonder of the great trade wind! All day we sailed, and all night, and the next day, and the next, day after day the wind always astern and blowing steadily and strong. The schooner sailed herself. There was no pulling and hauling on sheets and tackles, no shifting the topsails, no work at all for the sailors to do except to steer. At night, when the sun went down, the sheets were slackened. In the morning, when they yielded up the damp of the dew and relaxed, they were pulled tight again, and that was all. Ten knots, twelve knots, eleven knots, varying from time to time is the speed we are making. And ever out of the northeast, the brave wind blows, driving us on our course two hundred and fifty miles between the dawns. It saddens me and gladdens me, the gate with which we are leaving San Francisco behind and with which we were foaming down upon the tropics. Every day grows perceptibly warmer. In the second dog watch the sailors come on deck stripped and heave buckets of water upon one another from overside. Flying fish are beginning to be seen, and during the night the watch above scrambles over the deck in pursuit of those that fall aboard. In the morning, Thomas Mugridge being duly bribed, the galley is pleasantly areek with the odor of their frying, while dolphin meat is served fore and aft on such occasions as Johnson catches the blazing beauties from the bowsprit end. Johnson seems to spend all his spare time there or aloft at the cross trees, watching the ghost cleaving the water under press of sail. There is passion, adoration in his eyes, and he goes about in a sort of trance, gazing in ecstasy at the swelling sails, the foaming wake, and the heave and the run of her over the liquid mountains that are moving with us in stately procession. The days and nights are all a wonder and a wild delight, and though I have little time for my dreary work, I steal odd moments to gaze and gaze at the unending glory of what I never dreamed the world possessed. Above, the sky is stainless blue, blue as the sea itself, which under the forefoot is of the color and sheen of azure satin. All around the horizon are pale, fleecy clouds, never changing, never moving, like a silver setting for the flawless turquoise sky. I do not forget one night when I should have been asleep, of lying on the forecastle head and gazing down at the spectral ripple of foam thrust aside by the ghost's forefoot. It sounded like the gurgling of a brook over mossy stones in some quiet dell, and the crooning song of it blurred me away and out of myself till I was no longer Hump the cabin boy, nor Van Wyden the man who had dreamed away thirty-five years among books. But a voice behind me, the unmistakable voice of Wolf Larsen, strong with the invincible certitude of the man and mellow with appreciation of the words he was quoting, aroused me. 
Oh, the blazing tropic night when the wake's a weld of light that holds the hot sky tame, and the steady forefoot snores through the planet-powdered floors where the scared whale flukes in flame. Her plates are scarred by the sun, dear lass, and her ropes are taut with the dew. For we're booming down on the old trail, our own trail, the out-trail, we're sagging south on the long trail, the trail that is always new. Eh, Hump, how's it strike you? he asked, after the due pause which the words and setting demanded. I looked into his face. It was aglow with light as the sea itself, and the eyes were flashing in the starshine. It strikes me as remarkable, to say the least, that you should go enthusiasm, I answered coldly. Why, man, it's living, it's life, he cried, which is a cheap thing and without value. I flung his words at him. He laughed, and it was the first time I had heard honest mirth in his voice. Ah, I cannot get you to understand, cannot drive it into your head, what a thing this life is. Of course life is valueless, except to itself. And I can tell you that my life is pretty valuable just now, to myself. It is beyond price, which you will acknowledge is the terrific overrating, but which I cannot help, for it is the life that is in me that makes the rating. He appeared waiting for the words with which to express the thought that was in him, and finally went on. Do you know, I am filled with a strange uplift. I feel as if all time were echoing through me, as though all powers were mine. I know truth, divine good from evil, right from wrong. My vision is far and clear. I could almost believe in God. But, and his voice changed, and the light went out of his face, what is this condition in which I find myself, this joy of living, this exultation of life, this inspiration, I may well call it? It is what comes when there is nothing wrong with one's digestion, when his stomach is in trim, and his appetite has an edge, and all goes well. It is the bribe for living, the champagne of the blood, the effervescence of the ferment, that makes some men think holy thoughts, and other men to see God, or to create him when they cannot see him. That is all, the drunkenness of life, the stirring and crawling of the yeast, the babbling of the life that is insane with consciousness that is alive. And, bah, tomorrow I shall pay for it as the drunkard pays, and I shall know that I must die, at sea most likely, cease crawling upon myself to be all a-crawled with the corruption of the sea, to be fed upon, to be carrying, to yield up all the strength and the movement of my muscles, that it may become strength and movement and fin and scale and the guts of fish. Bah! And bah again! The champagne is already flat. The sparkle and bubble has gone out, and it is a tasteless drink. He left me as suddenly as he had come, springing to the deck with the weight and softness of a tiger. The ghost plunged on her way. I noticed the gurgling forefoot was very like a snore, and as I listened to it, the effect of Wolf Larsen's swift rush from sublime exultation to despair slowly left me. Then some deep-water sailor from the waist of the ship lifted a rich tenor voice in the song of the trade wind. Oh, I am the wind, the seaman love. I am steady and strong and true. 
They follow my track by the clouds above, or the fathomless tropic blue. Through daylight and dark I follow the bark, I keep like a hound on her trail. I'm the strongest at noon, yet under the moon I stiffen the bunt of her sail. End of chapter 7